What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Ben Bolin. And I'm Scott Benjamin. Scott, let's... uh, Let's do something a, a little bit different. Let's talk about how um, let's talk about how bootleggers had to uh, modify their cars to avoid the cops. This is an interesting start. You know, it's it's uh, on my mind because we covered this in an episode, and our buddies Chuck and Josh mm-hmm. uh, also talked about it. And I think um, our Sister podcast, Stuff You Missed in History class, Sarah and Dublina have touched on this before. Yeah, you know, this is an interesting topic, isn't it? I, yeah. I, I, I love the whole bootlegger history, and I know where you're going with this. I yeah, know that, yeah. I know that we're getting to NASCAR, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. Because, yeah. uh, you know, they, they would build these cars that were just overdone. You know, they had they had incredible suspensions so that when they were loaded with, uh, you know, whatever it was, you know, the, the white lightning, the, uh, right. the, the, the corn squeezins. Whatever it was, um, you know that they could uh, pass undetected that they were carrying a load of uh, of goods, yeah. um, illegal goods, and uh, these guys drove like crazy. I mean, they were great drivers, really. So you know, and they needed vehicles that would would handle well in all different situations: a dirt road, pavement, mm. gravel, whatever. They had to have a lot of skill, but they also needed a good car. And uh, I think this is where you're going with this, right? They needed a, they needed a great handling car, and they. Ended up, in fact, needing a Hudson. Yeah, you know what? Hudsons were often used by bootleggers, weren't they? Yes, yes. And, of course, this may not be what uh, Joseph L. Hudson, the department store owner uh, for whom the Hudson Car Motor Company is named, Motor Car Company is named, may not be what he had in mind when he allowed them to use his name. Yeah, isn't that incredible? I, 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 You know, all these years... Hudson Motor Car Company, and I've been to Hudson's in the past, you know, when I was in Michigan, you know, they right, still had right. Hudson's, and we had this huge, enormous Hudson building that was, you know, infamously imploded downtown, and there were, like, fires for months that burned oh, in wow. this thing, and it was a disaster. Jeez. You know, there, actually, it, it fell well, but um, 
it was left there. Whatever. You look, <laughs> you can look it up. It's pretty interesting. But, That's crazy. You um, were there? No, no, no. But it was an, I was in town and, you know, the Hudson, the Hudson uh, department store, you know, mm-hmm. it's a very tall skyscraper, old building with like the elevator operators and everything, you know, wow. that, that type of building. Um, where you'd, you'd ask the elevator operator to take you to the 17th floor men's department or whatever, and they'd do that. That's so cool. Yeah, it was a neat place. But that's that's the J.L. Hudson that we're talking about. Yes. Who lent his name to the Hudson Motor Car Company. And some money. Yeah, and some money because, you know, we had like eight guys. Right. This is what, 1909? Yeah, it's uh, February 20th, 1909. Okay, so 1909, The uh, I'm going to call this the early dawn of, uh, of the, you know, American – motoring industry yeah in you know, general yeah yeah and just automotive industry in general you're right it's, it's worldwide few years it's uh what six years after uh henry ford has founded his company exactly and you know that that time you know there were companies you know made and you know created and destroyed all in you know everywhere in, yeah all in the same week uh-huh. <laughs> um so you know 1909 these guys all invested and in, ben i want to i want to Throw a number out here. I think they. I think I read somewhere that they each invested some somewhere in the neighborhood of about fifteen hundred bucks um, mm-hmm. each, mm-hmm. and then they went to uh, J.L. Hudson, who was their uh, the primary investor, obviously, and they said, you know, if you give us ninety thousand dollars, we'll name our car after you. Wow. We're going to name the company after you, uh, not just the car, the company. So we're going to, uh, you know, that's what it cost to buy into this, and he bit, he took it, and uh, in. Joseph L. Hudson's uh, defense, or maybe not his defense, something that will make this more understandable. Uh, Hudson comes, he's an immigrant to the U.S. at this time, Mm -hmm. and in addition to founding the Hudson Department Store, he also has his fingers in a lot of other businesses, Mm -hmm. and he seems like he's usually interested in trying out a new idea, so it makes sense that he would be kind of cool with this because, you know, cars are the next big thing on the horizon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So these guys come to him and they've got something called, the, they've already got a, a model, a vehicle ready to go. Mm-hmm. And it's called the uh, the Hudson, well now it's called the Hudson, yeah. but it's called the 20 model. Just 20, just, just like 20. the number 20. Yep, 20. So, um, so they're often, you know, they're selling their vehicle here, it's 1909. Yeah, and they want to sell a car for less than a thousand dollars. Get this, Ben. This number is going to blow you away. And I've got some uh, some current stats to kind of uh, yeah. to kind of do this. But wildly successful vehicle, the Hudson Twenty. Wildly successful. I mean, like uh, you, you and I would have a hard time even imagining how successful this is because uh, the first sixteen months, their mm-hmm. net net sales almost four million dollars. Are you serious? In nineteen oh nine. The first 16 months, that's just 16 months of sales, so a little more than a year, mm-hmm. um, $4 million in sales in 1909. Now, I went ahead and uh, I, I've entered this into the uh, inflation calculator to find out what this is. All right, so let me clarify this. Um, most of these inflation calculators will only go back to a certain point. I could go back to 1909 in them, but for whatever reason, this one would allow me to enter only a date up to 2012. I'm sorry, 2011. I made a mistake again. 2011. <laughs> so, okay, so these are like one year off, but it's not a big deal, deal when you'll hear mm-hmm. these numbers. So these guys invested $1,500 in 1909, and that amounts to about $37,000 each. Wow. In uh, in 2011 dollars, okay? That's not chump change. That's not. It's a it's decent investment, but you know, you're talking about a car company right. you're buying into, and you're one of eight. Yeah. So not bad. And the other guy you know, threw in 90000 which is a lot. I didn't even convert that one. Um, they made four million dollars in sixteen months. Now that converted 
that comes out to, in 2011 dollars again, that's $98 million, uh, almost $99 million. Almost $99 million. That's the equivalent in 2011. So can you imagine these guys, the windfall that they have, you know, they, they, so they decide like, Uh well, this is going pretty well. Let's buy uh, a new factory, something Mm -hmm. large. So they bought a huge factory in downtown Detroit and began production. Along the way, one of the things that became known for were their uh, innovations, right? So at this point, they have warning lights for your dashboard oil pressure. Okay. And uh, seems common now, right? Right. Yeah. And that's how you know. That's how you know when somebody's made a very, very intelligent innovation in something like a car. When it hangs around for like a hundred years, and everybody has one. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. probably a good indicator, right? There are very few cars today sold without rear view mirrors. Yeah, you're for right. Example, but. Um, until the cameras replace them. Okay, let me get off my hobby horse about that. Let me get <laughs> off my soapbox. Get back get back to this. So they've got a great year. They bought this huge factory and they've broken a couple of uh they've broken all expectations, I sure. think, that they had. Mm-hmm. Um one of the more active or one of the chief uh guys here, Roy Chapin mm-hmm. senior. Yep. Uh Becomes, he, he's often credited as the founder of the Hudson right, Company. Right, right, which mm-hmm. is interesting. It, at this point, though, uh, I think he's around 30, and he's a millionaire. Oh, yeah. Multi-millionaire. 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 Well, actually, you know what? He is. He's probably a multi-millionaire at this point. Um, but, you know, because we're talking about production beyond the 1909 time. You know, mm-hmm. And so they've got all these different models. And, uh, you know, what's also interesting is that you find that Hudson cars throughout time have been sold as a lot of different model names they don't they're not just yeah. hudson's so you know i just want to do this real quick so do we can it, get it, through it. it um in america and, and internationally they've had a lot of different nameplates okay so you're talking about like the, the they've been called hudson mm-hmm. they've been called essex they've been called the terraplane which uh you know the terraplane that's kind of a strange name yeah. but in, in 1932 they had amelia Earhart who actually christened the brand terraplane for them Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a neat tie-in, I think. And uh, that was, let's see, that 1932 mm-hmm. christening. Uh, that terraplane remains, uh, according to historians, one of the first affordable sedans. Oh, no kidding. So it was one of the first times. That's why it was so successful. It was one of the first times, uh, you know, an average U.S. family or uh, could could make a purchase uh, with an enclosed sedan as instead of a you know, a Model T or uh, something is, you had to have custom coach built. Okay, cool. And, uh, you know, they used the Terraplane for more than that because they, mm-hmm. I mean, in addition to uh, just the Terraplane name, they used the Essex Terraplane mm-hmm. and the Hudson Terraplane, which, you know, I'm sure they figured out that, you know, you had the word Hudson to it, it's going to sell. Right. Um, uh, they also used the word, the name Dover, mm-hmm. uh, the Railton, and the, I think it's Brow Superior, which were actually British cars that were built on Hudson chassis. So um, the thing is that, you know, through the years, as we get, you know, into the, the 1930s, because, we're you know, there's a, a jump here in information that will go up to, like, let's say the 1930s when stuff really starts happening for the Hudson right, Company. Yeah. I mean, they, they held their own all the way through, and they had, you know, I, I guess typical styling, you know, up until that point. Sure. Um, they got a uh, an idea in... I think it was around 1939. This is kind of unusual. And we may jump around here in time okay. a little bit. But from 1939 to 1941, they had an, a, a unique styler there, didn't they? Someone oh, who yes. uh, worked in the style department, uh-huh. but uh, something a little out of the ordinary. Yes. Uh, in addition to their innovations, they uh, they hired Elizabeth Ann Thatcher, the very first female auto designer. Now, this is back in 1939, folks. Mm-hmm. So. 
this is uh, it, it's probably difficult for us in 2012 to understand how unusual that was. Yeah, that was a uh, that was a strictly a man's world at that point. And uh, funny story, Scott, uh, Elizabeth Ann Thatcher later goes on to become known as Betty Thatcher Oros when she marries uh, fellow designer, uh, the legendary Joe Oros. Yeah, he was a, ca- a designer for Cadillac. Right. And uh, you know what's crazy about that is that Joe eventually went on to become head of Ford Design, and he was head of the group that eventually des- designed the Ford Mustang. It's crazy what, what I- a... Uh, it's crazy how influential one person can be to these sort of things. I know. And you, move, you know, these people move all around and, the, and how they're all interrelated. I find these relationships mm-hmm. very, very interesting that, you know, the way they all work together. This is, uh, I mean, so that's, you know, the linking of the Hudson Company, uh, Cadillac, Ford, yeah. the the, uh, the infamous Mustang, you know, the, uh, the legendary Mustang. <laughs> legendary might be but, a nice uh, you know, Yeah, probably the, the legendary Mustang. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's an interesting Interesting bit. And here's a bit of a mystery that I want to go ahead and set up for uh, for our listeners as we continue on this. Uh, what happened to the Hudson Motor Company? Now, we're going to answer that question toward the end, uh, but to sort of show people why this is a good question, a lot of folks forget how just how popular, how successful and how profoundly different the Hudson Company was. Scott, a year after they were created, they were the 11th largest auto company. Well, that makes sense when you hear about the numbers that I just mentioned. Yeah. You know, when they're making $4 million in 16 months, you know, in 1909, that's an, that's an incredible amount of money to make. They must The sales must have been just off the charts. Mm-hmm. Incredible. So, um, you know, that had to have had uh, old Henry Ford shaken in his boots, I would think, at some point. You know, there's this new upstart Hudson. Yeah, uh, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think? <laughs> yeah, and we've. Uh, I mean, he was still number one. Yeah, but shaken in his crazy, crazy boots. <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad way to say it. Right? <laughs> I say that with respect. All right, so let's get back to the, like the yeah. 1930s because this, you know, this era, this this time. I think this is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they've got the, the terraplane thing going on. They've got you know um, Amelia Earhart stumping for them. You know, right. for this thing, that's kind of interesting. So they're getting big name celebrities to do things. Mm-hmm. Well, then the war hits. Okay, so we're, we're in yeah. the 1940s, like 1942. Mm-hmm. And uh, the federal government says we're going to cease production. Right. Yes. Uh, so for World War II, Hudson converts their factories to make war uh, war products. So mm-hmm. military boats uh, use their engines. So a lot, of the, a lot of the factories in the U.S. that are concerned with cars during World War II are instead channeling their efforts uh, in cooperation with the government toward building military vehicles. Yeah, you said boats, right? I mean, that yeah, was one. Yeah. That's one part. That's so, one. Yeah, I think that they said that those uh, Hudson Motors were a lot of the uh, powered a lot of the boats that uh, hit the shore on D Day. Right. Is yes. that right? Yep. And um, also, they made aircraft parts. They made. Mm. Um, they made anti-aircraft guns, as a matter of fact, which is kind of – I'm surprised by that. I don't know why. Um, and they also made um, ailerons and wings for aircraft. So, you know, they're doing all these different things. They made a 20-millimeter a cannon um, at the wow. Jefferson Avenue plant right in downtown Detroit that, uh, you know, they went from Swiss drawings and they converted these uh, these drawings into, like, uh, you know, American – uh, they translated them so they could read them. <laughs> Not just the drawings. I mean, every, everything with it. But um, they, they they said they manufactured millions and millions of pieces of, of military weaponry and vehicles and parts for the war effort. So this is a, you know, we've talked about this so many times, but the yeah. federal government said, this is what you're doing. That's it. 
Yeah. And they they outright stopped production, so there are you know no cars built from 1942 to 1945 for the Hudson Company. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Papertarian. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without painful finger sticks. So you can always know which way your glucose is headed. An arrow shows you where you're heading, up, down, or steady. It can also alert you before you go too low or when you're going too high. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM available, you can make better diabetes decisions about food, medication, and activity in the moment. And all those little decisions can lead to big results. Results you can see like more time and range in lower A1C. With Dexcom G7, you can manage your diabetes with confidence. Get started with the number one recommended CGM brand by doctors and patients at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Yes, and after World War II, uh, they start back into the car game. Exactly. They, they return uh, with with some some ideas. Now they're not all they're not completely successful. Ah, yes, uh, they, they have uh, they have stuff like the Super Six. Uh, they have so you just pointed to the uh, truck, the yeah, pickup truck. They have a pickup truck, which is so cool. Have you? It's so unexpected from them. Did, did you see any of the photos of the Hudson pickup trucks? I, I saw like one. I think I have one. They are awesome. I mean, it's a, it's exactly what you would think. It just looks like a Hudson front end, which is a really cool looking vehicle to begin right. with to me. But. At the back end. Yeah, just throw a pickup <laughs> truck bed on the back of this thing, and it looks cool. It looks really cool. It does it's look a, really it cool. It would make an outstanding hot rod these days. You know what? That's not a bad call. I, I think it would, and I, I don't think there's a whole lot of these around, but um, it was a, uh, a three-quarter ton, three ton pickup truck that they made in around, I'm going to guess, 1946, because uh-huh. it was just after the World War II production. Um, but, you know... 
let's get back to the cars, just because you know there's very little about the truck really, but um, just the, the truck just, happens and, yeah. and take a look at it. They're really cool looking. You know, if you get a chance, look at a photo. Where is that picture? We spend so much time in our podcast passing pictures. To I each know, other. I know. The, the I'm notes sorry, are, guys. we're shuffling notes like crazy. But you know, in 1948, they've got this new idea, and mm-hmm. it's new at the time. It's called a step down body. Ah, yes. So what if we put this car literally? A foot closer to the ground. Isn't that a good idea? Excuse me, a foot lower rather than not necessarily closer to the ground so much as just lower. Yeah, you're not going to see a difference in the vehicle because think about these cars, Ben. Remember in that era, you know, the 1940s, you're talking about vehicles that had the running boards. Definitely. And you would step up on the running board, you would step up into the vehicle, and then you would sit down on top of the seat that's, you know, again, you're, you're, you're perching yourself up, up, up. Right, right. right. And the center of gravity is really high in them. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, they're big, heavy vehicles. They're wide. They're long. They're, they're, they don't handle very well. I mean, they, they probably sway all over the road. I'm sure they're not sprung really tight. So, you know, they're not really Mm -hmm. responsive. They're more soft feeling. You know, they're, they're for, they're built for comfort. And their center of gravity is higher. Uh, Very high. Yes. As a matter of fact, because, you know, like we said, up, 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 that can't do anything really good for your center of gravity. So then with this step down design, which I, I think that's a very important point you make where you say you, don't, you might not notice a difference when you're standing outside of it. Mm-hmm. But when you start driving one, especially if you're used to what I like, I like your term, the step up, up, up design, mm-hmm. uh, when you start driving one, you quickly notice that you corner better. Yes. Yeah, the lower you are. And that's why in race cars, you know, a lot of cars you'll find that, you know, you're bolted to the floor. You're, you're way down low. You know, your legs are straight out. You don't, you don't have this, uh, this upright seating position. Right. Uh, the seat, you know, you're typically your legs are out in front of you. Um, it's, it's a much lower, uh, the lower the better. And that's why people lower their vehicle. That's why you see cars on the road that look like they're scraping the ground. <laughs> they handle better. You know, it looks cool, I think, in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do handle better. Their, their center of gravity is much lower. And that's what Hudson did. They said, you know, why don't we make a, a, a body design where you step down into into the like onto the floorboards, which is below the 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 sill of the vehicle where the door closes. Yeah. So, you know, right away there you're gaining all kinds of uh, benefits by lowering, you know, lowering the center of gravity, getting the, the people down lower. It's going to be a much different feel when you're driving this vehicle. It's going to feel, to me, it's going to feel cooler, really. Yeah. And a better way to, you know, there's a better way to say that, I'm sure. But, you know, another thing is that you could build extremely strong um, surroundings. So, like, the, the people in the early step-down vehicles of these, uh, yeah, the step-down body Hudsons mm-hmm. were actually sitting encased if you want to call it that but yeah they were encircled i guess is a better way that's a good um way. they were encircled by what amounts to i-beams steel mm-hmm. i-beams yeah. so even though it's heavy and it's big you've got this low center of gravity the car handles much better it just it just feels better to drive and you're safer in an accident exactly and they kept that design they kept the step down body all the way through the end of the company the company which is in uh 1956 but the 54 well, 54 but they they the cars keep coming out to 57 54 asterisk How's 54 that? okay How's uh, that? i will accept that okay all right so i'm gonna say uh officially 1954 okay um asterisk. Oh, Go right ahead. Oh, uh, yeah. So let's talk about the legendary Hudson Hornet. Yeah. Right? Uh, so the Hudson Hornet, um, if you care at all about racing, is is an amazing fundamental vehicle. Uh, listeners, you may recall early, early in the days of this episode, we opened by talking about whiskey runners. That's right. Bootlegging and smuggling. Yeah. And if you are, let's say, trying to 
outrun law enforcement, maybe rival members of the mafia, uh, in the dark, hauling loads and loads of, uh, what did you, corn sippings? Corn squeezins. Corn squeezins. Sure. Then, uh, you know, you probably want a car that has a lower gravity <laughs> center. You I would think so. You probably want one that corners well. The getaway car. You want a getaway car. And it turns out that uh, Hudson Hornets were pretty good for getting away. Yeah, exactly. They were pretty good at going fast because, uh, believe it or not, Hudson Hornets were driven in NASCAR competition um, in, the, in the 1950s. And we're talking about the uh, like the 1953, 1951 to, what, 53 is when yeah. uh, the two particular drivers I'm going to mention, Marshall Teague, and the other one was Herb Thomas. And they, those two guys, they were kind of on a team, you know, the Hudson team, the NASCAR team, I guess. Mm-hmm. And they called it, um, they, they nicknamed these cars the Fabulous Hudson Hornet. And you can see cars that have, you know, that painted on the side, the Fabulous Hudson Hornet, yeah. uh, with, you know, whatever the numbers are, number six, number 92. Um, these are cars that, you know, they competed in what is the NASCAR Grand National Series, which was, um, which is now the Sprint Cup Series. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're talking about the big, the big guys. And, uh, they also competed in AAA stock car racing. And I, this, I don't know, this is kind of an interesting history that, you know, they, the, these guys, they, they became the first two-time series champion, uh, in, in one of these vehicles. Um, you know, the, the crew chief for Teague was Smokey Eunuch, who, um, he's, you know, Ben, if, if, if I rank, not recalling, I didn't look this up, but yeah. Smokey Eunuch, wasn't he the guy that he created like a full, like a three quarter scale car so that it was lighter weight, but you could look at it and not think that anything was wrong with it? Oh. He's a rule yeah. bender. He is a maverick. Yeah, he's, he's, he's one of the ones that, you know, he's, he's like, uh, find a loophole in every single rule that they have, and Uh he's always pushing the rules. I I think that's who Smokey Eunuch was, I'm pretty sure. Um, But, yeah, it's it's an incredible history if you read about the fabulous Hudson Hornet. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, newer fans, newer listeners may be aware of uh, the Hudson Hornet, the fabulous Hudson Hornet, through a Disney Pixar movie that came out. Ah, yes. Cars. Cars. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I enjoyed that movie. Yeah. Uh, my girlfriend has made fun of me uh, frequently uh, mm-hmm. for my love of <laughs> what she calls children's movies. But you know what? Uh, Cars is a good movie, even if you're a grown up. And there, I hope she listens yeah, to the episode. Exactly. And so the, the <laughs> car, you know, the the character Doc Hudson, right? Uh, he plays, uh, you know, the the character in in this movie that you know is is based on a. Uh, well, the the fabulous Hudson Hornet, mm-hmm. and uh, his number is number fifty one, which is supposed to be reference to the year that it was built. <laughs> nice. um, yeah, which is nice. So, I mean, again, voiced by Paul Newman. It's kind mm-hmm. of it's just it's a cool vehicle. It's a neat it's a neat oh, thing. Nod to automotive history. I, exactly, exactly. But uh, we should also talk about some of the records that the Hudson has has. Uh, the Hudson vehicles are broken. Exactly, yeah. And you wouldn't think this, but you know they were setting and at look at looking at them. They mm-hmm. were known for two things, Ben. I can imagine, you know, durability. Okay, right. durability is one. The other thing that they were known for, Ben, economy. Isn't that crazy? I, I can't believe it. I mean, you look at them and they're they're enormous, heavy vehicles, but they were known for their fuel economy, which is really strange. So I've I've got one. Oh, go ahead. Do you want? Uh, let's see if we've got the same one. So. Uh, uh, 1937 Hudson 8 uh, goes to Utah and breaks the 1,000-mile record in its class um, by averaging 88.9 miles per hour 
uh, including stopping for gas. And uh, this this just means that they were able to drive that speed 1,000 miles an hour. I mean, no, no. excuse me, over 1,000 miles they were driving an average of. 1,000 miles. So they're probably on like a giant ring that mm-hmm. they're driving that fast. How cool would that be to be on the Bonneville Salt Flats doing that? Tell us how I've cool got, that is. Well, I've got one that's a little bit different, but it's the same place. So they okay. went to Bonneville, and uh-huh. you know we mentioned that you know they're, they're known for economy. I guess I should say that they got somewhere in the neighborhood of 18 to 20 miles per gallon. Which is great. That's really good for that size of vehicle. Yeah. Especially okay, so considering how heavy it is. The uh, the next record that I want to tell you about is a similar test. where they would run in circles on Bonneville, you know, in this in this enormous track. Um, they did a twenty four hour test this time, Ben. What? It's a twenty four hour endurance test, and they set the record. And this is in nineteen thirty six. So you got to picture the time nineteen thirty six. Right. Their average speed was eighty seven point six eight miles per hour over tw- over twenty four hour time span, and they covered a distance of two thousand. 104 miles in that 24 hours so that's that's a pretty that's a that's a a tough endurance test on any vehicle i mean any vehicle and to that keep up that kind of speed um and and here's the thing ben these cars they had like what you know if you want to call it street cred or whatever Mm -hmm. these were known as luxury vehicles oh yeah yeah we we should mention that yeah uh the entire time that other people were using these to dodge prohibition, uh, the average, um, you know, Mr. Miss Joe Smith down the street uh, think, oh, that's really nice. What a nice car. I would love to own a Hudson one I, day. Yeah, I love the ride and the uh, the fuel economy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the which, economy, the fuel economy. Which is crazy. Is and, you know, and here they are. They're not only are they doing these, these crazy endurance tests where they're mm-hmm. running it, you know, like just running the crap out of it. I mean, for 24 hours, 88, almost 88 miles an hour for 24 hours, and, like, these distances are amazing. But... Not only that, they're running in NASCAR, and it's a lux- <laughs> it's a luxury car. How crazy is that? It just seems it just seems a little bit backwards to me. But it but it it really did perform and it did very well. And unlike quite a few uh, quite a few other cars that are known for performance or maybe for economy, it has a roomy interior. It's like a luxurious sedan interior. Yeah, it's we it's kind of like being in someone's house. Exactly. <laughs> and they got really good at, you know, building these great vehicles. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the problem is that we get into the 1950s, you know, we're the mid 1950s. And here's where kind of the uh, the downfall of the company, I guess, if you want to call it that. Um, they, they stretch it on a little bit, a little ways longer. But in 1954, mm-hmm. they actually produced the what would be known as the the final, you know, the Hudson Hornet. I think it was called the Hudson Hornet Hollywood was the model that I saw. Right, yeah. All right, so, Ben, I want to tell you just a little quick something about AMC because, uh, you know, we've pretty much got to the end of the uh, the Hudson name here. Right? They, yeah, yeah. They continued to produce them through, what, 1957, and I mm-hmm. think in Kenosha was kind of the last place where um, the last Hudson eventually came from in 1957, if you want to call it the, the mm-hmm. last Hudson. Okay, so AMC... Uh, American, American Motors Corporation. They were um, they were part of uh, what was it? Kelvinator, I think, it was one of the. Uh, yeah, uh, Hudson Hudson merged with uh, Nash Kelvinator Corporation. Oh yes, yes. And they actually formed what is called American Motors Corporation. So AMC wasn't around until Hudson came into the game mm-hmm. because it was Nash Kelvinator, and Kelvinator was a, a kitchen appliances company. I, right. With, uh, you know, Nash was an automobile company. So now there's Hudson Nash Kelvinator, and that's American Motors Corporation, mm-hmm. AMC. They were founded in 1954, obviously. Um, the headquarters in Southfield, Michigan, I've been to the building a couple times. It's a tall tower, a nice place. Mm-hmm. Um, it was already out of business by the time 
I went there because um, Chrysler purchased that in 1987, 1988, um, and they renamed the brand Eagle Brand. So AMC, the AMC part of Chrysler became Eagle, well, Jeep Eagle, really. Mm-hmm. And I think what they were really, what Chrysler was really going after for there was the Jeep brand because um, <laughs> right. you know they had they had cars, they had SUVs, they had military vehicles, they of course had home appliances still. Sure. Uh, you know, with the Kelvinator thing, they had buses. Um, they eventually had a, a partnership with uh, Renault in 1983. They made that Alliance vehicle. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. the name makes sense when you think about it. Well, one interesting side note, Ben, is that. In AMC, within AMC, you know, there were a lot of different uh, presidents, CEOs. Oh, I think I know where you're going. Oh, do you? I think so. Uh, oh, really? Okay. One of them was George W. Romney. He was a politician and mm-hmm. uh, an automobile industrialist, of course. Um, he was actually also a governor. He was the 43rd governor of Michigan. He was in office from 63 to 69. And then he was the, you know, before that, he was actually part of, of American Motors Corporation, AMC. Yep. And he was the chairman and president. He had four kids, Okay. The kids were Lynn, Jane, Scott, and Mitt. Who Romney. might sound familiar to some people. Yeah, Mitt Romney. Who have ever seen television or gone outside. Exactly. It's Mitt Romney <laughs> of, uh, you know, current presidential candidate. That's, yeah. uh, that's his son. So, you know, George Romney, who's no longer around, he passed away. But, um, and one quick last thing, Ben. Yeah. The golf course that I used to caddy at when I was a little kid, you know, like I'd ride uh-huh. my bike there and caddy. It was a terrible job. Um, the the ninth hole, I could see George Romney's house, and that's where Mitt Romney grew up. Oh, weird. Yeah, so like every time we were driving by, you'd see Mitt Romney out there. You know, or I'm sorry, not Mitt. Yeah, well, Mitt and uh, and George Romney, right, the former the governor. Kids, but yeah. I knew him just as the governor of Michigan at one point. You know, in in our past. Yeah. Not uh, not current. You know, now he's just a retired old guy. He hanging also out in his driveway. He also uh, during. <laughs> Well, that's what he's doing. You know, he's out there like he'd be out there like with his car or whatever, you know, and you're like welcoming the grandkids in or whatever. So that description um, cracks. I can't say for sure if I ever saw Mitt Romney there, but I saw kids out there, you know, or actually adults. And then I saw adults with kids. So maybe it was. Maybe it was. You never know. So also uh, George Romney, uh, I I remember uh, in our research uh, looking at the effect he had on the company, he said, let's focus on this Rambler. Mm hmm. And he was right. Like yeah, Rambler. Worked. Yeah, Rambler was good. And uh, what, what did my notes say? I had something. That oh, was the Nash. Yeah, the Nash said, stuff didn't I, work. I had out a note here that says Rambler successful, Hudson Nash <laughs> not successful. So um, that's why they dropped the Hudson name at some point. But uh, in, well, in 1957. But um, well, that's about it. I mean, AMC has got its own history that I think we could do a whole podcast. Oh yeah, on. yeah. But, uh, Hudson. What 1909 to 1954. I'll mm-hmm. say 1954. Yeah. Um, an outstanding car. You guys should take a look at it. May they rest in peace. And let's say you want. I've got one last note. I think may sure. we rest in may they rest in peace is kind of a low, low way to end a podcast. So let's end it on a positive note. Sounds what do you good. say? Yes. All right, man. Um, so let's say you want to buy Hudson. Let's say over the course of this podcast, you said, you know what? I'm no Jay Leno, but I deserve that Hornet. Why not? They're awesome. Yeah, they're they're fabulous, in fact. So uh, <laughs> all you have to do is visit Jack Miller's dealership, the last Hudson dealership in existence what? in Ypsilanti, Michigan. That's Am I right. saying right? You're saying it right. Oh, thanks. Uh, so... Let, uh, you know, there's a little bit of hyperbole there. Well, there's a there's a heritage museum there. It's the same thing. Is it's a it? heritage museum, but Scott, one like, I think once a year or so, they they sell one or two Hudsons. I can't believe what and you're they, saying. Yeah, so that they can still call themselves a dealership. They also have 
uh, working Hudson service garage. Oh, that is cool. So if you already have a Hudson in your family and you say, ah, what, what is going on here? This, uh, this straight six thing is weirding me out yeah. and you need to get it looked at, uh, just drive up there and uh, get it checked out. Yeah. So the uh, demise of the Hudson as a company is true, but the demise of the vehicles uh, has yet to occur. That is really cool. So this this orphan car that you have, because there's an orphan car show that happens up there that's huge and yeah. it's, it's great. Um, so you could go to this dealership and have your Hudson serviced. And not only that, you could buy a new Hudson if you wanted to. Well, they're used. Used, okay. So when you buy them, they're used. Oh, got it. Okay, okay, <laughs> I got gotcha. you. But still, the only place that really focuses on Hudson sales, right? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. really cool. You're in Michigan, so if you guys are ever in the area, drop by to check it out because, to be honest, it is primarily a museum. Let's see, so. Ypsilanti, that's near Eastern Michigan University. So you'll see some cool stuff. Very neat. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without painful finger sticks. So you can always know which way your glucose is headed. An arrow shows you where you're heading, up, down, or steady. It could also alert you before you go too low or when you're going too high. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM available, you can make better diabetes decisions about food, medication, and activity in the moment. And all those little decisions can lead to big results. Results you can see like more time in range and lower A1C. With Dexcom G7, you can manage your diabetes with confidence. Get started with the number one recommended CGM brand by doctors and patients at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. We got to get out of here, man. We got to tell people again, uh, thank you so much for listening to the show. Let us know uh, if you want to hear more about some orphan car companies. Uh, Let us know if you would like us to talk a little bit more about maybe some 
concept cars. No, I'm kidding. We've done so many concept cars. Things. There's lots of topics out there. There's lots. Let us know what you would like to hear. And also, uh, check out our photos that we're posting on Facebook. And you can give us a holler on Twitter. If you'd like to skip the middleman and send us an email directly, you can do so at carstuff at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between, like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So, Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly. How much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.